we have yet another remarkable woman to study, and her name is Elizabeth. What we do know about her is that she was a righteous woman, but what does that mean? Well, righteous basically means acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. So you're probably thinking, okay, another lady who is intimidating, someone that uh, you never think that you can strive to be like. But you know, with God, everything is possible, amen? So, but why was she free from guilt or sin? Because as we see in the scripture, it was because she had faith in God and she had faith in her Messiah. And so before we get into God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example that Elizabeth is to us, for us, and we can truly look to her as someone who is to be admired, Lord, and we just thank you for the example that she is, that she is considered righteous. Lord, we want to be like her. More importantly, we want to be more like you every day. And as we go through the scriptures, these scriptures, would you bless our time? Would you anoint uh, this time with your Holy Spirit? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, the backstory. Who is Elizabeth? Well, her name means oath of God, or my favorite, God is satisfaction. Did you know that that is actually what he's supposed to be for each one of us? He's supposed to satisfy us completely. But oftentimes we try to find our satisfaction in so many other things, don't we? But God is satisfaction. That's what Elizabeth means. And she was married to Zechariah, a priest. And twice a year, Zechariah went to serve at the temple in Jerusalem for one week at a time. The rest of the time, he lived in the hill country of Judea, which is the surrounding area around Jerusalem. And it was during one of those serving weeks that our story begins. It's found in Luke chapter 1. And it says in verse 5, when Herod was king of Judah... Judea, excuse me, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. I've been practicing this name, and I think I got it right. And his wife, Elizabeth, who was also from the priestly line from Aaron. And so this tells us they were both from the tribe of Levi, because Zechariah couldn't be a priest without being a Levite. And Elizabeth was from the priestly line of Aaron, who was also a Levite. In fact, he was the guy that hung out with Moses, and he was known as one of the first high priests. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. So right away we see what kind of people they are. They were righteous in God's eyes not in the eyes of anybody else, and the one that mattered, and that was God's. And it says they, they followed all the regulations and everything that was laid out in the Levitical law. And I, I love that it doesn't say anything about what other people thought of them, but just what God thought of them and that they were righteous. And that should be our goal as well, shouldn't it? And then verse 7 goes on to say, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. 
they were both very old. Now, it's not said in our scripture exactly how old they were, but according to the Apocrypha, which is like a commentary or history book of that time, they were supposed to be about 99 years old. That was Zechariah, and Elizabeth was 88. So, yeah, they were well on in years. Then verse 8 tells us, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, to be picked to burn incense was a great honor. They, everybody wanted this particular job because it was just so special. And because everybody wanted this job, they would have to choose lots. Now, was casting lots a form of gambling? Because that's where we get our word lottery from. No, it's not. Uh, When the Jews had to make a decision, they cast lots to decide because they figure, you know what? Let God pick who they want to have do this particular duty or have this particular honor. And so it's not what we normally think of, you know, rolling dice or something like that. But casting lots were actually smooth stones, very similar to these. And they were put into a cup. And for decisions about priestly duties, they would have a symbol or name for the tribe or priest. And they were all mixed together. And whichever lot came out at a particular time, a decision was based upon that. And so it wasn't necessarily the first one that fell out of the cup. It would say, well, you know, the the fifth one to fall out of the cup, that's the one. That's the one we want, something like that. And the interesting thing about Zachariah being picked for this job is that they usually only get picked once or twice in their lifetime. Okay, so Zachariah is almost 100 years old. So the fact that he got picked, that was a great honor, number one, but also showed that God was working in this situation. But where was he to burn this incense? Well, I have my, my little pointer here. Okay, he was in the holy place right here. And the, the altar where the incense was to be burned was right there. Sorry, I can't seem to hold it still. But the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, was right there. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And we also know that that is where the curtain was. That's what this was, this barrier here. And the only person allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, of course, was the high priest. And just as a a little side note, that... uh, curtain between the the holy place and the holy of holies was what was ripped when Jesus died on the cross. That gave us all access to God. That's what that symbolized. So verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So the very act of burning incense was a picture of the prayers going up to God. That's what it symbolized. That's why it was such an honorable job to have. And so we have Zechariah, in verse 11, was in the sanctuary while he was doing this, in other words, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. 
So picture this, this old priest is burning the incense and no doubt very honored to be doing so and taking it all very seriously and out of nowhere, this angel appears. Verse 12, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Boy, no kidding. I mean, I think we all would be shaking with fear if this magnificent angel was suddenly standing right there to the to the side of the, the incense altar. I mean, that would be a, a very scary thing. And so whenever this guy seems to show up, the one that always announces things, everybody that, that sees him is afraid. So he must have been quite a sight to see. Verse 13 tells us, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. What prayer? They had been praying for a child, but they had probably given up, haven't they? Well, you know, we're 99, 88. I don't think it's going to happen, hon. So he says, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So this is quite an announcement, isn't it? Notice that it says, many will rejoice at his birth. Why is that? Who is this John? Well, it's none other than John the Baptist, the one that was a, a forebear before Jesus was coming. Verse 15 goes on to tell us, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Again, notice he's not great in the eyes of people, but great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. You remember who else had that particular uh, restriction? That was Samson, wasn't it? And Samson's mother, Manoah's wife, remember the, the, the woman of no name? She wasn't supposed to drink any kind of alcohol. Why? Because not only was Samson supposed to be raised as a Nazarite, so was John the Baptist. It says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Wow. That tells us, I mean, we get the filling of the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ as our Savior. This John... He was getting it in the womb. Must have been quite an eventful birth, right? But remember this whole thing about touching wine. It's just to keep him set apart for the work of the Lord. Verse 16, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. So he's like the first evangelist, isn't he? And the angel has now stated the what and the why of John's life. He will be used by God to turn others to their God, or in essence, their Savior and Messiah. And then verse 17 tells us, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. We know how powerful he was. He's the one that went on Mount Carmel and, and called down the fire from heaven and burned up you know, the altars and stuff like that and put the, the other uh, worshipers of Baal to shame. He says, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He's preparing them to receive Christ, to receive their Messiah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So we're talking about heart changes here, aren't we? And this is going to be his ministry. So John, Elizabeth's son, will be the very person spoken of 
by Isaiah in Isaiah 43. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament. So essentially, John is going to be stirring up things before Jesus arrives, and that was his mission, his calling. Then verse 18, it says, Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. So this poor priest, no doubt, no, the priest doubts because he and his wife are very old. I guess he had forgotten the story of Abraham and Sarah. And it, as Sarah laughed when she found out she was going to have a baby, it's kind of like this is what Zachariah is doing also. He's doubting this announcement. Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. So we got Gabe back. I stand in the presence of God. Okay, he's, he's the one that's in God's presence all the time. And God says, hey, Gabriel, I want you to go down to earth and tell Zechariah that he's going to have a son. I want you to tell Mary she's going to bear my son. I want you to tell Sarah that she's going to have a child. So this is, seems to be what Gabriel's always doing. He is a messenger. So it says, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. In other words, he's saying, do you not know who I am? Come on, Zechariah. He says, I have been sent by God to tell you this, to announce this to you. Then verse 20 goes on to say, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So poor Zechariah, he gets a little spanked, doesn't he? he says, and he won't be able to speak until John is born. Verse 21, meanwhile... The people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. He was only supposed to burn the incense, but instead, he's been in there like forever. And so perhaps they thought that he may have died in there. You know, they were getting a little worried. After all, he was in the holy place. Granted, he wasn't in the holy of holies, but he was in the holy place. I mean, what if he did something wrong and God struck him dead? Because if that happened in the holy of holies, God certainly would strike a high priest dead if he went in there in an unworthy manner, if he went in there with sin in his heart. Uh, God would strike him dead. And so for that reason, they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle, and if he was to die, so they didn't, you know, that way they didn't have to go into the Holy of Holies to get his body. They could just pull the rope. That's kind of gruesome, isn't it? God took this very, very seriously. And so they were all worried, but no worries. He, of course, was talking to the angel, verse 22. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. When they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So this poor guy is trying to use some kind of, uh, who knows, he didn't speak sign language, so he's probably pointing to the sky and saying, you know, wings, you know, angels, and, you know, doing all sorts of things and trying to communicate with them because he didn't have a pen and paper. But he got his point across. Verse 23, when Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, 
His wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So we don't really know why she was in in sorry, can't say that word, in seclusion. But several things come to mind. Uh, The first one was perhaps she was embarrassed. I mean, after all, she's 88 years old and she's going to tell people, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. And they're going to go, yes, yeah, yeah, sure, Elizabeth. That's really cute. So could have been that, but probably not. Uh, Second option, perhaps she wanted to make sure that she could carry the baby full term. I've known women who have done this, especially those women who have had uh, miscarriages and it's just so painful that they they just want to kind of keep the pregnancy to themselves on their next one just in case. Could have been something like that. I mean, the chances of an 88-year-old woman being able to carry a child full term, that had to have been pretty uh, low odds, right? But I think she just wanted to spend time with the Lord. And I think that is exactly what she did. She was so grateful that she was going to bear a child that the disgrace that she had always felt was finally over, that she just wanted to rejoice with her Savior. Remember what she said at the end of the passage? The Lord has taken my disgrace of having no children. See, back then it was such a big deal to not have children. Today we understand that there are medical issues that cause it. But back then it was known as a curse. And of course we know that's not the case today. However, she gave all the praise to God that she was going to have a child. And so six months later, Elizabeth is now mentioned in Luke. And The angel, Gabriel, has now appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son, and we know who that son was, right? And so we take up in Luke chapter 1, verses 39. It says, a few days after Mary, a few days later, excuse me, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So she probably was completely overwhelmed. Can you imagine what Mary was feeling at this point? She needed some kind of encouragement. She needed to talk to her wise old cousin. You know, it was like her second or third cousin or something. And she just needed to talk to someone, someone who would understand, someone who was a godly woman. In verse 41, it says, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, the baby is also filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary's baby, which is Jesus, and Elizabeth, and the Holy Spirit-filled John kind of had a moment of recognition. You know, they kind of had like a a revival, a Holy Spirit revival there. And it was kind of, it must have been an amazing situation. And then verse 42 says, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. So right away we see that Elizabeth is so honored that Mary is there visiting her. And she says, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. 
Notice that she wasn't jealous saying, well, gosh, I only get John the Baptist, but you get, you know, the Messiah. No, she didn't do anything like that. She wasn't petty like that. She rejoiced. Wow, what an honor. And it says in 43, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? So right away she knew who Mary was, was carrying here, that she was carrying the Son of God. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Why did she do that? Why did he do that? Excuse me. Why did John jump for joy? He also, being filled with the Holy Spirit, even at that real tiny age, remember, he's only six months old. And although they can live outside the womb, that's pretty amazing at six months having a response like this inside the womb. It says, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And Elizabeth was just honored, so honored to be a part of everything that was going on. And Mary stayed with, the, with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. No doubt they helped each other with their, their pregnancies. Who else would believe that Mary was carrying the Son of God and that Elizabeth was pregnant at age 88. So they kind of had these, these miracles that happened in their lives, and so they kind of understood each other. And so I can see why Mary would want to hang out with Elizabeth because she probably says, wow, my life has been turned upside down. <clears throat> then our next scripture, Luke 1, 57. <clears throat> It says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Aren't those great neighbors? I like that. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There is no one in your family by that name. And so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, did it ever say that Zachariah couldn't hear? No, but they're still giving him hand signals. So I guess they figured since he was mute, he couldn't hear also. So anyway, it's just how my brain works. I'm going, well, that's weird. Why would they do that to him? But anyway, he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And in the scriptures, that's the last we actually hear about Elizabeth. And because they were so old, chances are, I mean, when, when Jesus began his, his ministry, he was around, he was in his early 30s. So that would make John also, because they were very close in age, I think only six months apart. And so... John was in his 30s. That would have made Zechariah like 130 years old and, and Elizabeth not much younger than that. And they just didn't live 
that old back then. So chances are they were dead when John began his ministry and when he was beheaded. So they didn't have to go through that. God was merciful. But we do know the great impact that John had on the Gospels. And he preached wherever and whenever he could, preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah. That's what he was called to do. But this was also a testament of how Elizabeth raised her son. And according to uh, the Apocrypha, I looked it up. I wanted to know what happened to him after John was born. Well, you remember in the Nativity story how the reason why they had to flee uh, Bethlehem was because Herod wanted to kill all the male children. You remember that story? Well, John was in that also. And it's actually estimated that it was about two years after the two, two boys were born. And so Elizabeth and John had to flee to the hills to escape the Roman soldiers. Zechariah protected them as much as he could, but he was eventually slain by the Roman soldiers because he wouldn't give up the hiding place of Elizabeth and John. Elizabeth was hiding in rocks, and she prayed to God to protect her, and he literally opened up the rocks, and then she went inside this cave, and he closed it up to protect her. That is the story that is told throughout history of what happened to Elizabeth. And then she went on to, when the, when the, uh, the danger was over, then Elizabeth raised John on her own. So what can we learn from Elizabeth? Well, lesson number one, God always provides, doesn't he? Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Elizabeth believed this. God supplied everything she needed. Everything. What was one of her greatest desires? To have a child, and God provided that. What did Mary need? Someone who understood somewhat of what she was going through, and that was Elizabeth. God provided that. Both Elizabeth and Mary had extraordinary pregnancies, and God provided comfort for each other. And I love that God always has a way of putting people in our lives at just the right time. Isn't that neat? I love that. So God is our Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides Lesson number two, don't doubt God. When God announced, when he sends an angel to tell you something, I don't think I could doubt, but, you know, who knows? Zechariah was a pretty righteous man, wasn't he? He was known as being righteous, and yet he doubted what the angel was telling him. But I love what Jesus says. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. That is found in Matthew 8. 23 through 27, and it's a story that I love. But how many times do we doubt God? See, even the disciples doubted Jesus that he could save them when they were, uh, they had a storm that they were caught in on the Galilean Sea. And let's read what the scripture says in verse 23. It says, of Matthew 8, it says, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. So think about this for a moment. Jesus got into the boat even though he knew that there was going to be a storm. Perhaps he even caused the storm. There's a thought. But why would he do this? God is always testing us to see if we will drought him. Verse 24. 
Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. He had to be getting wet, right? But he's just sound asleep. He was tired, and he wasn't worried. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I mean, this is after Jesus has been preaching, doing miracles, all sorts of things. They've seen Jesus do miraculous stuff. And yet now all is lost. We're going to drown. I mean, you could almost see Jesus waking up, looking around and shaking his head going, guys, really? Then Jesus responded, why are you afraid? Have you so little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly all was calm. So all Jesus had to do is say, hey, guys, stop. I don't want to get wet anymore. Stop the wind. Stop the waves. Just, just stop. And it obeyed. And that had to have been amazing for the disciples to, to witness this. See, they had been doubting that Jesus could save him. But at least they had the sense to wake him up. Verse 27 says, The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked, even the winds and waves obey him. Of course they obey him. He is their creator. He is the creator of everything. He has dominion over everything. But why did he put the disciples through this drama? I think he was testing them. He told them to get into the boat. He knew that there was going to be a storm on the sea. He fell asleep, curled up on the floor, went to sleep. And then he stopped the storm. He wanted to prove to them that he could do anything, that he could take care of every need that they had. He wanted them to understand that truly in their own hearts, they didn't trust him completely. And it was a heart check for them. I think God sometimes does that for us, doesn't he? Will you trust me with this? And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, ooh, I'm not sure I do trust you. Thanks for pointing that out, Lord, because I needed a course correction. See, Elizabeth had no doubt as to what was happening. But Zachariah did. He had lots of doubt. Says, hey, I'm 99 years old. Elizabeth is 88. No, we're not going to have a baby. But she didn't seem to doubt anything that was going on in her life. She rejoiced. Wouldn't you love to get to that point where you just, you know what, God? I trust you. Whatever you have going on in my life, I know you've got a plan. I would like to come to that place where I never panic. But that's, that's going to take a, a, a little bit of work. <laughs> and I think in all of us, if we're honest, isn't it? So, see, when things get rough and the seams seem to be pounding us, remember that Jesus has dominion over everything and he's looking after you. All right, our third lesson. Be an encourager. What did Mary need? She needed to be encouraged. She was probably panicking. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. See, encouraging others is another way of showing how much God loves others. And this simple act of just sitting down with someone and letting them know that you care and sometimes it's just listening. You don't have to be counseling them. Sometimes it's just somebody sitting down and listening to what is going on in their life can be so encouraging to people. 
You see, Elizabeth didn't give Mary platitudes or cliches or anything like that. She gave Mary reason to praise God. And how did she do that? She gave her scriptures. She reminded Mary of God's love. And it's reminders of what Jesus does for us also. Sometimes we can encourage others to, just by telling our, our testimony, yeah, I have been there, but God, he did this in my life. What an encouragement that is. See, Elizabeth gave Mary something of great substance, didn't she? She pointed her back to the Lord. And that was Mary. So be an encourager. What a wonderful lesson that is. Number four, God is still performing miracles. Jeremiah 32, 27 tells us, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, there's not. Each one of us is a miracle. Do you believe that? Think about what you were or how you were before Jesus came into your life. Uh, it's a miracle where you are today. I mean, think about that. That should be encouraging to each one of us right away, shouldn't it? But of course, we see God perform amazing miracles, you know, even, even outside of the salvation experience. I mean, how about a saved marriage that nobody thought could be saved? Or a child that was healed. A hard-hearted loved one that now follows Christ. All three of these I had in my own life. These are miracles. And God is still performing miracles. So don't doubt that. God can do anything. It's always in his time. Always remember that. So through all of this, what was it that made Elizabeth a woman that God himself called righteous? I can see a few things. She was a servant. She ministered out alongside her husband. She was like a pastor's wife. And she didn't serve people so that she could be seen. She did it because she wanted God to be honored through her life. She loved God. And that love was shown by when we saw her so excited to meet Jesus in the womb, didn't we? That was her driving force. She was also very faithful. She never doubted that God was doing what God was doing in her life. And she was no doubt sad that she didn't have children, but she also understood and trusted God. She knew, then, when she did become pregnant, she knew that her child was a gift from God. She didn't brag about how honored she was that God, you know, I'm pregnant now, yay. You know, no, she still honored God humbly and praised him. And lastly, we see what kind of mother she was to John. And that evidence was seen in how much John himself loved God. And how God humbled himself before Jesus at the Jordan River. He says, I'm unworthy to even untie Jesus' sandals. That's what John said. That comes from a humble home, a humble beginning. These things are taught from an early age. She did exactly what Proverbs 22.6 says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he or her is old, 
they will not depart from it. You see, all these things showed how devoted she was to God, that she lived out her faith in her home, just like she did in front of people at the temple. She lived it out. She was real. She wasn't self-righteous, but had the righteousness of God giving her substance and courage. I'll leave you with Romans 5, 1 through 5, and it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now that justified, that means just as if I'd never sinned, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our peace comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We should all hope because that hope is real. It will never disappoint. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, okay, wait a minute, that's going too far. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Other versions will say patience. How many of us need more patience? Okay, come on, let's be real. Okay, yeah, we all need more patience. Do you realize that going through struggles gives us patience? You see, because I've been through some pretty serious struggles in my life, I don't sweat the small things anymore. It's like, you know what, I know how bad it can get, so this is no big deal. You know, when your car breaks down, hey, it could be a lot worse, and it could, right? So it does. This is a promise. So suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. It makes you stronger. It makes you trust in God more. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit, ladies. We can never do this on our own. Zachariah couldn't do it on his own. Elizabeth couldn't do it on her own. Mary certainly couldn't do it on her own. It's all about him and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how we have that victorious life of righteousness that, that God looks upon with such favor. So never give up. God will continue to change us. He will make us righteous. All we have to do is surrender to him. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing story of faithfulness, being righteous before you. So many things, Lord, that we can pick out of this. Just trusting you is also a very big one in this story. So much trust had to be uh, given to Elizabeth. Lord, she, she loved you, and we should also strive to love you as she did. Lord, give us that strength. Give us the faith. Give us the wisdom. Help us to never fret about suffering, but to, to understand that it's for our own good. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything that you do for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.